Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Now, with that in mind, rolling up our sleeves at five to nine, we're going to go to Romans eight. How do we apply these principles to our heart? How do we apply these principles to our heart? In Romans eight, we're going to find three things in 20 minutes. In Jesus, we get three things, a new freedom to know ourselves, a method to change ourselves, and a power to be ourselves. First of all, a new freedom to know ourselves. Therefore, Romans 8, verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those words alone, on a standalone basis, would be just phenomenal, right? I mean, just if he just said that one verse to build your entire Christian life off would be enough. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's the juxtaposition of Romans 8 with Romans 7 that is so incredibly beautiful, that is so glorious, that gives, has given Christians hope for 2,000 years. Because Romans 7 ends by saying, I'm a mess. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. There's evil dwelling inside me, and I didn't even print it, but you all know the verse, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is Paul saying, what we've been saying here a couple of times, I am simultaneously a zero and a ten. I am in Romans 7. I am a zero in my flesh. I'm a complete zero. I've got nothing. I've got an F, F, F. Bang. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the juxtaposition of the two together that is so amazing in the Christian faith. I'm a zero and a ten at the same time. Simul justus et peccator. A justified sinner. That's what makes it so glorious. Now, no other system of thought gives you this. And there's something I just learned recently thinking about this. It's your conversations that I want to share with you. It may have been obvious to all of you all along, but it took me a while to get it. And I just, I, I, it's something I think I'm reflecting on and thinking about. I just want to share with all of you that in Christianity, we are declared righteous. That part I knew. You probably have all heard that. that you are declared righteous. You're not earning your righteousness. God, through his act, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has declared you righteous. It doesn't come from you. It's from him. He's declaring you righteous. But what a point I realized just reflecting on this is this. In the gospel, we say we've been declared righteous. If you do anything else other than Jesus, anything else other than the gospel, you are declaring yourself righteous. You say, I'm tired of being told I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I am not a sinner. I hereby declare myself righteous. It's as if that scale in the diagram with righteousness and time, we can't get away from it. We have to, there's this compulsion to justify ourselves. The other story, the person who said, I'm on the right side of every issue. And I want you to know there's this other issue that was in the news and I'm on the right side. Why are you telling me that? Why do you want me to know that you're on the right side of that issue? It's this compulsion to justify ourselves because I declare myself righteous. I have to declare myself righteous. I can't just be indifferent. And, and, and the odd thing to me, the quirky thing is that I say, they think, people think Christianity, you're so, you Christians are so self-righteous. You think you're so good. Now you're looking down your nose at me, and I'm saying, you're the ones declaring yourself righteous. We're, we're the ones saying, I'm a hopelessly lost sinner. In the gospel, I'm so lost. I'm so in such an immoral failure. I'm such a moral failure. The Son of God had to die for me. I had to be declared righteous by some external power, external to myself, not declaring myself righteous. But if you declare yourself righteous, if you're your own savior, it is wearying. It is taxing. 
It is, it's a heavy burden to bear to be your own savior. And it's fragile because there comes a time when if you say, I'm not a sinner, there comes a time you really blow it. I mean, you really blow it. And then who is there to forgive you then? And if you say, I'm aligned with all the issues of the day, 100 years from now, the issues will all be different. And, this, and 100 years from now, they'll say, all your things you believe are backward and old-fashioned. And you'll be the one that's out of step. If you, if you step outside the faith, if you, if you go to anything else other than Christianity, it becomes a self-salvation project. You're declaring yourself righteous, and it's fragile. And so the point in Romans 8 is that you get an incredible psychological freedom in Romans 8 once you accept the gospel message, because you say, you know what? I am a moral failure. I don't want to be a moral failure. I don't want to sin, but when I do, I'm not surprised. I want to confess it. I want to, it takes me further down my lower line. I'm more grateful for the gospel, but I'm not surprised. I am a moral failure. It's not, it's not a fragile faith. If you do the single line, you say, I'm a 9.9. Oh, if I really blow it, shoot, I've lost it. It's fragile. The gospel is not a fragile faith. You say, I'm not surprised. I'm a, I am a moral failure. And it gives you sociological freedom because you say, if you climb the single line, if you're self-righteous, you look at a group of sinners, you say, look at those, look at those prostitutes over there. I, I would never do, I, mean, I can't believe those people, sinners. If you really get the gospel in your heart, you can hang out with anybody because you're not better than anybody. You can say, I'm no better. I'm no better. Maybe whatever path they're walking down, I have the evil in my heart. Listen to what Paul says. The seeds of evil in my heart to do the same thing just never got water. But see, he's incredible sociological freedom to relate to, to talk to, to hang out with anybody. You can say, I just know better than anybody. So that's a great message of the gospel in Romans 8. But gives you a new method to change yourself, a new method to change yourself. That's not just this clamping down, a direct application of the moral law to your heart, hard work and effort, a new method to change yourself. Now, I'm going to read to you Romans 8, verse 13. This is the first sentence of a paragraph that's in the middle of the first section of Romans 8. And if you read just this one verse... It's what Jim Coward said the other day. If you read any one verse in Romans alone, you get error. Okay, but if you read just this verse, let me tell you how you can read it and get into error. He says, for, Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Aha, there it is. Climb the single line. Put forth the effort. Spirit's going to give you some help. God helps those who help themselves. Get a little grace. But you've got to put to death the deeds of the body. You've got to put a direct application of the moral law to your heart. And that's how you're going to really change. That's only if you read that one verse out of context. Now I'm going to read the rest of the paragraph to you and give you a new method of change. I'm going to start at the beginning again. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you read that verse by saying, I've got to really put to death the deeds of the body, apply my strength, you are falling back into a spirit of slavery and falling back into fear. You're going right back to the law. Paul says, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. And here, here's the point. Paul says, you are sons of God. Men or women, you are sons of God. You're all sons of God. Your position in him is absolutely secure. In fact, it's so secure. You can say, Abba, Father, a, a words of intimacy. You have this incredible relationship with the Father that cannot be broken. And because of that, in light of that, in the proper sequence, therefore, you can go and serve him. Right? Because you don't have to worry about it. You don't have a spirit of adoption of slavery. You can serve him. The whole key is sequence. 
the whole key is sequence. People say, but you still got to be good, right? In sequence. That's the key. I already know my position in him is secure. I already know that I'm a son of God. I can pray, Abba, Father. I'm not going to go back to a spirit of slavery to try to follow the law to justify myself. But therefore, I can live for him. Now, how does that work? It works by changing and recognizing what you mind. And I'll read this to you, passage to you. Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death. But to set the mind of the spirit is life and peace. What is it that preoccupies you? This goes back to the epithemias. What is it that is really, really enthralls your heart? You can be a Christian, but you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but what really gets me going is this other thing. What really excites you, what is really at the center of your heart, that is what you set your mind on. Now, Paul is saying this whole process, in sequence, you are sons of God. Now, change what you mind. Take your mind off that, what you've wrapped your heart around, and wrap it around the cross, wrap it around Jesus. Now, I want to address this because what people often say about the gospel, when you start saying it's all by grace, they'll say, Easy believism. Easy believe that's easy believism. Too easy. Generally, people that have climbed up the single line that feel like I, I, I've achieved a certain level of righteousness, and I don't want to hear this easy believism stuff. It's too easy. It's all by grace. It's too easy. I want you to know. Look, I'll give you just give you a quick example, and they'll just sound like I'm crazy. When I was a young Christian, I was in discipleship training. I had a checklist: quiet time, every day, daily devotions, get up early every day, check. Uh, be in a Bible study, check. Lead a Bible study, check. Friday night rally, check. Wednesday night worship service, check. Sunday morning church, check. Witnessing, door-to-door evangelism, check, check, check. I had a checklist. I was doing really well. You want to know it's easy believism? A checklist. I could give all of you a checklist and say, if you want to experience maturity, just do this stuff. Check these boxes and you'll be a strong Christian. In my mind, that is easy believism. That is, you could do it, because you could do it. You could check the boxes. You say, there, I've done it. I've got to achieve righteousness. This is way harder. It's, it's so much harder to say, okay, what has really enthralled your heart and your mind? Despite the fact that you've given your life to Christ, there's still some things in your life that you've given your heart to. You find those things, ferret those things out, change those so you say your whole heart and mind, and you're enthralled with nothing more than the cross, and, and the cross more than anything else in your life. That's... That's a change. That's a transformation of the heart. That's inside-out change. It's way harder than check the box. So this is kind of a summary. You have to take your mind off the things of the flesh by minding the things of the spirit. This is a spiritual endeavor. It's not pure technique. It's driven by the Holy Spirit. He said that earlier. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit helping you. The Holy Spirit's going to work with you to do, to do this. But how do you do it? Let me talk about last time. And I have a new phrase for you, and this is hopefully get you to remember this. And this is, gentlemen, start your engines. Start your engine. And I've already referred to this a little bit today, but the engine of the Christian life is gratitude. Gratitude. The engine of the Christian life is not hard work and effort. The engine of the Christian life is gratitude. You're filled with gratitude for what he's done for you. I'm going to read this to you. This is actually just a transcript from the Keller sermon when he was preaching in Romans 8. It is not enough to know that God loves you in general. You have to let the Holy Spirit show you how Jesus was condemned in your place. You learn that early as a Christian, and then you spend the rest of your life letting the Holy Spirit amass material that acts as a radioactive isotope 
that will shrink the sin tumors of your heart. Just like Tozer was saying, shrink the sin tumors of your heart. And the point here is that the Holy Spirit uses examples all around you to mortify, to mortify the things you've set your heart on, to mortify the tumors of your self-absorption. Now, last time I was here, we talked about the tale of two cities. Remember that story? But and the point that I was trying to make and that Keller makes here is that you see these examples all around you in art, literature, and film. And when you see these stories, it gives you time and a chance and opportunity to reflect on those stories and to say, wow, that's, that story is, the, the reason that story moves my heart is because it's really reminding me of Jesus. So we're almost out of time. I'll just give you one or, one or two stories like that, and then we'll take questions. Once to, uh, one other example in film, and I think we could all have examples, is Saving Private Ryan. Remember Saving Private Ryan? There's a platoon of soldiers that have to go save a private and bring him back home alive. And along the way, one of them gets killed, and they all get together, the platoon. They haven't found Ryan yet, but they're saying, this Ryan better be a really good person, because this mission is really expensive. We've already paid a heavy cost. And along the way, most of the platoon dies, but they're saying, this guy better earn it. <laughs> we are spending a huge cost to save this one individual. He better live the most incredible life. He better earn this. And then and they finally get him, and they're in the last battle scene. Remember, the last guy's dying. He pulls Ryan by the chest. He grabs him close, and he says, earn this, as he dies. And then the final scene, uh, Ryan is an older man, and he's at the graveside of that person who died for him in the Normandy beaches. And by the way, I've actually been to that graveside. If you get a chance to go there, it's unbelievably moving. But, but he's standing right there over the grave, and he's, and he's looking at, Ryan, at the, the captain's grave who died for him. And he said, I think I've lived a good life. I think I've earned this. I think I've done my best. When I see that story, I just weep because it's all about the God. It's all about sequence. Jesus paid the price first. And then in loving response to it, in loving response to it, we want to live for him. But the difference is we're not earning it. He's already earned it for us. We don't have to earn a thing. He's, it's completely, the price is completely paid. It is finished. All right, I'm going to give you one, one, one more story. It's not a from film or art. It's just a story from my own life. I was in New York City, working in New York City in Midtown. That happened on 9-11. The first plane hit the towers. My wife tried to call me. The phone lines were all jammed. But I was in the tower. Everyone was on the 33rd floor of our building on Times Square. And people said, oh, well, the towers have been hit by a plane. Uh, we all have memories of where we were that day. But the second tower was hit, and they said, everyone out of the building, I started walking home through Manhattan on the Upper West Side to my uh, uh, apartment. And then the towers fell. And uh, I remember for days afterwards, the fighter jets circled the city and the smell of burning steel. On my block when I, where I worked, there was a fire station. And in that fire station, I passed by it every day and I didn't think anything about it. But afterwards, there were a whole bunch of guys in that fire station that died walking up the tower while other people were walking down. And then there were pictures up and there were mountains of flowers and people tributes for weeks afterwards. And I walked by that tribute. I'd see those guys' faces and their names. I would just weep. So thinking, if they could give their life for the city, they give their life for the people, our Savior gave his life for me, how much more... Can I be enthralled with Jesus and have him inflame my heart so I can follow him forever? Just by watching their examples. That's what I think changes you and transforms you. Film, literature, art, that's great. In your own life, you see those kinds of images of self-sacrifice. You say, and that's what he did for me when I was a lost sinner? Fills your heart with gratitude. Your life starts to change. Your dotted line starts to come up. That's how sanctification works. Okay, that's Romans 6 through 8. I'll stop. It's 9... 13. Any more comments or questions? Yes. 
I'm Dave. Um, you know, people conjure up all kinds of images of what holy is, but holy just means set apart. And what sets it apart is the blood. So you think of the implements in the tabernacle, these, they all had to be cleansed with blood first. That made them holy, made them set apart, allowed to be served to serve God for his purpose. We don't set ourselves apart, make ourselves holy. He makes us holy. Amen. That's right. Uh, as you were talking, Jim, I was thinking of um, C.S. Lewis in an interview. He was asked about, um, so how do you know if somebody is a Christian? And they were especially talking about, let's say you have this lady who swears a lot. How do you know if she's a Christian? Uh, and is she a Christian? And C.S. Lewis answered him, he's saying, yes, she is a Christian because you don't know the raw material that the Holy Spirit is working with. And that's for each one of us. That's right. Praise the Lord, he can work with raw material like me. Bill. Yeah, I want to emphasize the fact that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's the Holy Spirit that gave me the freedom to actually walk away from a lot of different kinds of alcohol without ever having even make a choice about it. It's just simply... I knew, and he gave me the strength to do without. I had a friend that was a heroin addict, and he got saved and got off of heroin just like that without even going through withdrawal. It's the Holy Spirit wow. we need to recognize. Well, that's a great point. It is the Holy Spirit. That's why it's, it's a spiritual endeavor. It's not pure technique. But if the Holy Spirit's really transforming your heart from the inside out, you lose your interest in those other things. You don't want to mess around with that stuff. We had another comment. But Lou. Uh, Lou. So, Jim, I think it's great that you talked about the love of God and the love of Christ and how much you realize what the price that was paid for us and how much he loves us still. Because in the two scriptures that stuck out to me this week were the intercession of the Holy Spirit. I think it's in 26. In the intercession of Jesus in 34. So they're interceding for us now. What, what great love that the sacrifice. And you have to think about what the great love the father gave to us by giving his only son. Well, a lot of times we don't. I saw God the father is more of a, a judge. I wasn't, he wasn't the gracious grandfather. A lot of people think he is now. I don't think he's that either. I think he's holy. He's very holy. But what helps me is when I go to Psalm 139 at the end, it says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I think that's a great prayer we can all pray. And it, it's Psalm 139 starts off with God searching him first. And then David learns about what God is like. And that's what we're doing. We're in the process of learning how great God is, how holy he is. And then at the end, we want more. Because he changes our desires. When you say he changes our heart, he changes our desires. And our desires are, are becoming more and more like, like Jesus. That's right. To, to love Jesus more. And it's very simple when you think about it that way. We're all, in that, we're all in that process. We all need to encourage and exhort each other to keep going on with God. As you're talking, it reminded me of another verse. <clears throat> Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's going to give you the desires of your heart by changing those desires, thankfully as you delight in him, right? So yeah, it's great, great comments, thanks. Anything else? No? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Uh, gosh, just thank you so much for the grateful, we're so grateful for the gift of your son, that in Christianity, it's not what we have to do, that it's all done, that you took Fs like us and gave us A's. 
through what he did for us, that we can be both zeros and tens at the same time. Your gospel is amazing, Lord God. Help us to change our hearts. Help us to take the things, the, our hearts off the things that we set our minds on and set our minds on you and the gospel. Help us to inflame our heart, to change us from the inside out. And be with us this week until we're together again. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.